Welcome to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, where we discuss e-commerce issues and whether our guests today automated, delegated, or eliminated them and why. Your host is Will Christensen, co-founder of Data Automation. And again, welcome to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. I'm your host, Will Christensen. This is sponsored by Data Automation. Honestly, I'm I'm very excited about our episode today. Again, we're continuing our series where we talk to the founders of your favorite SaaS products. And uh, we're talking about where these products came from and helping you get a window into what it might be like to begin that journey of creating a SaaS company. So we're very excited on today's show. We have two amazing guests in one episode. So two for one deal, everybody today. I am interviewing Rob and Kennedy of Response Suite. Uh, Rob entertains with hypnosis and Kennedy has a comedy show using his skills in psychology, body language and reading people to read his audience's mind. So pretty excited today. A little a little unfortunate that our audience won't be, we, we won't be able to read body language today to, to pull out as much, but I am seriously hoping that Kennedy pulls out and gets good laughs today. He'll, he'll be able to see my body language see me on video here as we uh, do the interview here so we'll we'll see we'll see how how bad he makes me bust the gut here so excited that they're they're both here welcome robin kennedy hey, hey well, good, to be here. good to be here awesome well we're gonna dive right in here um for those listeners who who may not know already what the heck is response suite what does it do that's a great question isn't it i mean well if, if anybody doesn't know basically i mean Imagine you could take your uh, you could take your audience. You could ask them questions about what is it you want to buy right now. What is your biggest challenge? And then find the perfect messages across the emails you send them, the landing pages you send them to, and the ads you show them, which help them move towards the product, which helps them the fastest. Or if you don't have multiple products, we have customers using our system, which I'll get into the nuts and bolts of what it is in a second and how it does it. But imagine you could also, if you have one product and response suite allows you to talk about that one product from the right angle that allows the customer to understand how they would particularly use it. So how do we do all of this stuff? Well, we're going to say a horrible S word early on in the show, Will. I'm sorry. We're going to be using dirty, rotten surveys, I'm afraid. Yeah. (laughs) Basically, we had this epiphany one day in the world of marketing that wouldn't it be good, rather than having to read people's minds the way that I do, if you could just ask people what their challenges are, what is it you need right now, and then integrate your surveys with your marketing system so you can now follow up through every channel in a way that absolutely matches what it is they're looking for. That's what Response Week does. Mm, Interesting. So you took this idea of, getting feedback and then completely integrated into a marketing suite. Yeah. We turn feedback into sales. That's what we do every day. We turn feedback into sales. Oh, I love that. That's a that's a that's a pretty good pretty good little tagline there. All right. So excited excited about that. Rob, anything you'd want to add to that? No, Kennedy nailed it. I mean that's that's what it does. You fill in a survey and then all the marketing is just more 
logical. The emails are more logical. The ads people see are more logical. The content they see inside your members area, online platforms is more logical. And everything just feels like it means that everything people see going forward feels like it was written specifically for them because it absolutely was. It's basically the marketing equivalent of a choose your own adventure storybook. You know, those things where you're like, if you think you went to the park, turn to page 27. If you thought he went home and stayed home all night, then turn to page 42. It's that, but in marketing. It's basically, you know, that customer journey thing everyone talks about, map your customer journey. Well, the problem is customers are dynamic. Customers don't follow one path. So it allows you to create dynamic customer journeys, but without having to do anything really clever because the tech does it. You need to know you need to know nothing about tech whatsoever to use responsibly. That's the point of it. Because guess what? Rob and I don't know our forward slash or our backslash, honestly. We don't, we're not technical people at all. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, if you haven't gone to the website yet and started typing in your email, it's probably about time that you head over there and check it out. <laughs> time to go sign up for a sponsor. That's amazing. Okay, so how does your software differ from those you would consider competitors? So effectively, what we've done is we've taken the uh, granular integration that just didn't exist when we had the idea for this software. They, they, we just couldn't do it in any other way and make it so that when somebody fills out um, when somebody fills out your survey, you can actually take it so that every single answer they give you to every single question pipes directly across into your email marketing platform, into your ads thing or whatever. So what that means is you end up with a really, really granular kind of matrix of information. Let's imagine that you were in the fitness industry and you ran a survey to your new gym uh, prospects, potential members or something like that. You could ask them, are you male or female? Or, uh, you know, what's your age range? Or what are you looking to achieve out of this? And you might find you've got some men who are in their 50s who are looking to become bodybuilders. And you've got some women who are in their 20s who are looking to become bodybuilders. And very quickly, you realize that when you take the combination of all of the different um, categories within all of those different questions, you suddenly realize that's a lot of different types of people who need to be talked to very differently, especially in a world like fitness, where, for example, the way that a man would train is just physically different to the way a woman might train. And likewise, if you're in your 70s, you're going to have to train very differently to if you're in your 20s. And so what we were very aware of is that we wanted to make sure that when somebody fills out one of our customer surveys, they're able to absolutely pull those down into the smallest possible pods of people. So you've got everything is, is granularly broken down by email, by ad, by you know membership content, by everything else. So I think uh, one, one of our kind of major differentiation points is, is the granular level of detail. But we also wanted to make sure that it was a platform that would bring together a bunch of the tools that you're probably currently already using and paying for separately. So for example, you can use it and run scoring, which allows you to do quizzes, but it also allows you to do tests. And you know if somebody completes a module in a program, you could get them to fill out a quiz and then give them a score based on that, which would then unlock more content or not if they, if they didn't pass the test. And Interesting. So, uh, equally, you can then take it and run full-blown surveys, whereas with the quiz platforms, generally running full-blown long-form surveys is very difficult. So we mm. wanted to make sure that we had all of that pulled together into one place. Interesting. The thing as well that, that it really does brilliantly is... Okay, when somebody fills out your quiz, questionnaire, application form, we have a number of coaches and stuff using it as an application form to qualify and disqualify people for that coaching program. So we only speak to more of the right kinds of people who we can really help. So we're not wasting their time or ours. One of the things that you really want to do is, is realize when someone fills out one of these forms, quizzes, surveys, however you want to dress them up and market them, right? Whatever you want to do with it. 
Mm-hmm. As soon as they hit submit on that survey, a whole bunch of things are happening at once. First of all, the fields are being sent into your CRM. That means you no longer, in order to get a holistic, complete view of your customers, you don't need to have your survey platform open on one screen and then be flipping between that and your CRM and another screen. It's all where it should be in your customer relationship management system. We don't actually want you to have to log into Response Suite very often because you don't need another screen to log into. You want something that just does it for you. So it passes all that data in. The second thing it does at the same time, all on hit and submit to that survey. And of course, people have no idea what's really going on at that point. It's it's, it's quite amazing. As soon as they hit submit, that data is going in. The second thing that's happening is you are tagging them or segmenting them differently depending on those choices. And it might be depending on the actual choices they make. Or as Rob said, it might be depending on the score they achieved. That's the second thing. The third thing that's happening is you're putting them into a different Google or Facebook audience. So you can also show them different ads. And then the final thing you're doing is you're also on hitting submit. You can take them to a different thank you landing page depending on their choices or their score. So now at every single point, they're seeing a message. Thank you for completing the survey that addresses their concern or where they need to go next. Then all the follow-up emails they receive all address them personally. The relevance is much higher. All the ads they see from you all address it. And now for you internally, you have all that information in the one place it should be, which is not spread across the internet in 42 different platforms. It's in your CRM system. So I can tell that you are both, I mean, incredibly passionate about about this. Like I, I can see it, I can hear it in your voices. I can see it in your faces as I see you on video. I mean, you you are you are drinking the Kool Aid. I I can see that. So tell me, I, I mean, obviously it took something to get to here. I don't want to go. You know, we're, we're gonna we're gonna go through that. We're gonna start with Rob, then we're gonna go to Kennedy. Rob. Tell us your personal origin story. And if that fits into both of you and you have a way that you want to go back and forth to, to tell us this story, you know, how do you fit into the founding of Response Suite? So we never wanted to own a software business. That wasn't the vision. We never wanted to particularly be entrepreneurs, I don't think. The one thing we always wanted to do was to never have a job. So Kennedy and I, as you kind of outlined in the introduction, our background is in entertainment and performing. So from uh, being at school, we knew that we wanted to be entertainers. And we met shortly after leaving school, I guess. Kennedy was at university. I would have been doing my last sort of bits of school. And we were both performing outside of that as entertainers. I was a hypnotist. I'm a hypnotist. Kennedy's the mind reader. And we knew that the minute we left school, in my case, university, in Kennedy's case, we were just going to go straight out and and be that, be a hypnotist and a mind reader. And along the way, we were traveling around the world performing and actually were lucky enough to build a really good business as entertainers. And I think what lots of people don't realize is, you know, like entertainers, any, any entertainers who might be listening to this will know that they may do a gig and people will come up to them after a show and they'll ask questions like, do you okay do it? Do you do okay doing this? Like they don't realize that actually being an entertainer is a really well-paid job if you do it right. But it does mean you have to learn marketing. You have to learn branding. You have to learn positioning. You have to learn pricing. You have to learn email marketing. You have to learn all the stuff that means people will pay you more than they would pay to have somebody else do the, the same job. And you have to realize that you have to always have a pipeline of gigs coming through. And so it is a business like any other. And we were fortunate that we both became very good at it in different sort of areas of the entertainment industry. But along the way, you spend loads of time on your own, bored, traveling. Like sometimes you'll fly for 20 hours to do one hour show, stay overnight and fly home again. And it sounds glamorous 
to most people, but it's really not. It's actually very boring. And you spend lots of time on your own. And so sometimes it's in hotel rooms, sometimes it's on flights, sometimes it's in airports or train stations or on the train. And so we both, we've been friends for like nearly 20 years. And along the way, we both independently kind of accidentally started an online business to fill in our time when we're traveling. So I was selling courses and training programs to help other people learn hypnosis. Kennedy was selling courses and memberships and training programs to help other entertainers learn how he was getting as many gigs as he was and charging the kind of fees that he was. And so along the way, that means that we had to build an email list, not just an email list of people who might book us to go and do a show, but also an email list of people who are interested in buying our stuff, our courses and programs and things. And so this basically came about because one day I wanted to run a survey. I was creating a course for my hypnotist audience and I wanted to find out exactly what they wanted from the thing I was about to create. So I ran a survey and I basically said, which of these four things are you most interested in right now? Which of these four things would help you most right now? Uh, Option A, option B, option C, and option D. And the results came back. I looked at a pie chart. I used a really well-known software survey platform. I looked at a pie chart of results and it was not far off 25%, 25%, 25%, 25%, 25%, 25%, and 25%, like give or take, a few percent in either direction. And I looked at the pie chart and suddenly realized I'd wasted a few days of my time and I was absolutely no better off because I knew the list were likely to be interested in those four things. And I was sort of hoping that 90% of them would come back and say, we all want this. So I called Kennedy. I said, dude, I'm using this survey platform. Do you know how I can take it and how I can make it so it integrates with my email marketing platform, which at the time I was using Aweber? Do you know how that can be done? And he said, no, but funnily enough, I want to do it, but for something totally different. So we talked this through for a while and I realized, you know what? Even if my results had come back 90-10, that's still not actually a very useful result when you're doing market research to find out what your audience want. In a world where everybody wants to be treated as an individual. In a world where if I log into Netflix and look at what programs it's recommending to me and Kennedy logs into Netflix and looks at what programs it's recommending to him, they're totally different. So we realized that, and this is like eight years ago now, we realized that we were getting into this world where people wanted to be treated as individuals and me taking, even if it was 90-10 in my survey results, if I created the thing that 90% of the list wanted and emailed it to 100% of the list, that's still 10% of my list who are going to be really annoyed because I've effectively ignored I've basically said, what what do you want for dinner, darling? They've told me and then I've made something else. And so we wanted to make sure there was a way around this and it just couldn't be done. And so Kennedy never wanted to start a software business. I never wanted to start a software business. Like he said, we're not technical at all. But this solution just didn't exist. But we could see the potential it had in order to increase revenue, increase profits, and actually just give subscribers a better experience, give our customers and potential customers a better experience. So that was where the sort of idea came from. And that kickstarted this journey that we've been on for the past, well, what is now four or five years of, of building response and starting a starting a software business. Interesting. So at this point, where are you in your lives? Are you are you, you're both successful entertainers at this point, and you're looking at this piece of software that's missing in the world, and and you're like, well, flip, we should we should invest in this, we should build this, or were you like, let's form a company and pitch it to VCs? What 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 was your what was your first thought? Where were you at the time? Yeah, I mean, we've got no experience in what you might call proper business. Like, we are not business people. We are the definition of what Gerber calls in the e-myth, the technician. You know, we thought, this is the thing we're going to do. Great, let's do it. And suddenly you've ended up being the accountant and the marketing person and all the HR stuff and all the other stuff. That's who we, that's who we are, honestly. No, I mean, basically, we said, let's do this. What are we going to do to fund it? Are we going to go and get some debt? Are we going to go and get VC? Are we going to 
go into our own pockets. And we looked at all the advice, which was never use your own money and thought we are cleverer than that. Let's use our own money. So we did that. <laughs> Don't you love yeah. I mean, you, there's all these people out there in the world putting up these big banners telling you what to do. And, and eventually you just come back and say, I'm smarter than that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, all these people, you know, Bill Gates. What, I mean, he does, he does, it, was, it was blind yeah. faith, I suppose. We just said, well, you know, we've done stuff before. We'll do it some more stuff. It'll be fine. All right, it'll be okay. But also the problem with taking debt and specifically taking vcs is it goes against our core value of never getting a job if you take we believe that if you take vc most types of vc funding or any kind of any kind of investment you end up working for them is kind of how we would feel whether it's true or not it's how we thought and we discussed that's how i would feel so we said we can't do it that way we want to be the boss people so that's what we did. We literally said, right, uh, how do we do this? We could we could try and get this done as a project out in some cheap labor country. We could try and do that. But then the problem is, as we said earlier, we don't know what we don't know. We literally don't know which language should this be built in. I don't know. English? I don't know. I haven't got a clue. And it's, it is ridiculous. I mean, you're realizing, hang on, if these two guys can do this, surely anybody, anybody can do this, right? So what we decided to do is we will hire a full-time developer here in the northeast of England and we'll get an office, and we'll come to work every day, and we'll hi- and we will hire someone who speaks tech and idiot, right? <laughs> so this guy had to like, interpret those two worlds. That was the point. So, and this and this sounds like some kind of routine from my show, but I promise you, it's not. Our first interview with our founding developer Colin, who is fantastic, he's still with us. He's brilliant. Our first question in our interview bear in mind we, we used a recruitment agency because we didn't know what we were looking for either remember we didn't know what kind of developer we were looking for we had to use a recruitment agency to do that so we we ended up speaking colin was our first interview came in sat down our first question to him was right then how's this supposed to go <laughs> <laughs> we've never mind conducted an interview we've never been to an interview so we're like, should there be boxes of chocolate? Should we cuddle? What should, what should we do at the beginning of an interview? We obviously put some HR advice. advice. Uh, yeah, HR advice, I, I think probably not. No, no cuddling in the first interview. Yeah. We took some yeah. vague, vague HR advice and then went with that. Yeah, yeah. Don't do tongues on the first interview. I think that's what we're talking Right? So, which Colin was grateful for, honestly. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so we, so we literally sat down. And so how this is supposed to go. And then we realized, actually, we get on with him. We trust him. This is experience. He's vastly experienced. And that's how it began. And it's crazy. It really is. But here we are. But I love it. I love it. <laughs> so how's this supposed to go? And he's looking at you like, um, I think you're the ones interviewing me. So you're supposed to tell me. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay. So we've talked about where you got the idea for the software. So I, I mentioned before the show started when we were talking about the social network and that, that, that film and that moment where Mark Zuckerberg realizes, oh, this thing needs relationship status. Did you have any aha moments when you began to build where you looked at this and said, oh my gosh, this thing needs that? I'd love to uncover a few of those. 
I think one of the big ones was when we first had the idea, remember, all we were talking about was, can we make it so that when someone fills in a survey, it like tags them or does something inside the email marketing platform, just so you know, they've filled it out. That, that was like, that was the initial concept. And it was only from talking it through that we said, but if you're going to be able to do that connection, then you could segment them based on what they said. And that means you could kickstart different automations and stuff based on what they said, which means you can trigger whatever you want to happen after they filled that out. And that was, that was, the, that was actually what response rate was for quite some time. And I think one of the big mic drop moments for us in the office was sitting down one day and saying, well, crikey, if you're going to build a survey, which is all drag and drop, and you're going to sit there and say, oh, that question means this, and that answer to that question means this, well, then that could hook up to anything that has the ability to hook stuff up to it. So initially, the sales page and everything was surveys that make your email marketing better. And it 100% does that. But when we realized it actually connects to anything else that relates to marketing, I mean, fairly recently, we pushed our Zapier integration. So now, I mean, it literally connects to anything because that is obviously one of the biggest connectors in the world. But we, we're building as many direct integrations as we possibly can. So we connect to everything. And therefore, you can have somebody fill out your survey and it can literally do everything. And we realized that actually, if you now think about your survey sitting somewhere in the middle of a marketing campaign somewhere, when somebody fills that survey out and now everything they see around them is more relevant, that was a that was a big aha moment for us, I think. Interesting. Yeah, another really big aha moment for us was thinking about where businesses use surveys. And for a lot of businesses, a survey is a thing you do once a quarter, once maybe once a year, maybe once when you remember kind of thing uh, to find out how you did things retrospectively. What we actually believe surveys to be, and this was a huge moment for us, is we realize surveys are actually a connector, almost like we often use train carriages as, 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 um, as metaphors in our business. It's almost like the, two, it's the connector that connects those two carriages of the train that move you from one transaction or one piece, one moment in the business to the next one. You traditionally surveys are like are like the end. They're like the bit the afterthought of how did we do? Oh, not too bad. Okay. And we can move on and we we show the report to the board or to whoever we're reporting to. What if they weren't that? What if surveys have been misunderstood for a long time? <laughs> and instead of being that retrospective thing, what if they're the thing that allows us to understand what's just happened, what the new need is, and allows us to start the next sales conversation to amplify and multiply revenue and relationships? Have you guys seen the movie Inside Out? With the, yeah, It's brilliant, isn't it? Such a beautiful... When you described, what if... What if surveys have been misunderstood? I could not help but picture, honestly, a cartoon character that looked just like you, who who is, uh, I'm a survey and I've been misunderstood. And like, all of a sudden we have a brand new version of Inside Out. It's a movie um, about, and you have like the email marketing software that walks around and the survey that walks around and, and eventually, this sounds like a cartoon. You guys can pay me later for the idea. But 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 it sounds like a little cartoon where they walk around and they're like, it sounds like inside out, but not very good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, touche. Yeah, that, that. But I think email marketers would watch it, right? They'd be like, oh my gosh, I totally yes, that's exactly how I feel about surveys. I love it. I love it. So okay, so so you 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 have these aha moments. You, you begin to to get where it's going. How did you guys keep yourselves afloat? You, you and your families afloat? During, I mean, 
you're like, okay, I'm, I'll just go hire a full-time developer. Those are not cheap individuals. And you used a recruiting company to go do that. Now, obviously, you had some success that you were sitting on top of for other things. And those other things weren't really going away other than the fact that we all know that um, you know starting a business is a, a, a significant time investment. So you had to start letting go of some of the time you were spending on selling courses and entertaining. So, so what did you do to keep, I mean, that, that, that teeter totter of how do I keep my life going while I bring something new to the world is, is, is the question. Yeah, there was a day when we sat down and realized we were about to run out of money. And there was a point at which wait, wait, next what was month, the plan before that? What, what, what was the, you looked at it and said, okay, we've got a pile of money. We're going to throw our own money at this. Was it like, oh, let's let's throw fifty grand at this, or 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 let's, you know, what 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 made you decide? Okay, yeah, this is well. Actually, I love that question. When you decided on your own to to fund this, because you know that's where you went. Um, how much money did you allocate? And and then when you decided you were running out, you know, that that that'll help give give some picture there. And and I've heard seventy thousand. I've heard a hundred thousand. I've heard three. Like I've heard I've heard it all. So I'm curious to hear how much did you decide to allocate. So we decided to allocate a relatively bottomless pit. And what I mean by that was we knew it was going to cost us somewhere in the realms of a hundred to two hundred thousand pounds pounds sterling up front to like get going and and just to know that we'd have enough money in the bank to pay the staff because we didn't just hire Colin. We had two other full-time members of staff as well. So we, we knew that we had to, uh, we were happy for us to go without a salary. Obviously we're putting the money in. We expected to stay in for a while and then one day take the money out. And so we, we knew that we were going to, it was going to cost us like a significant amount, six figures in order to make this really work. Um, but that was on the basis that we wanted to make sure that we always had 12 months of staff wages in the bank at any one time because we just feel like that's a really responsible thing to do. But also know that when we, every time we sort of spent a month, we would just top it back up again. And therefore, we would always have this rolling amount in the bank that was just permanent. But we did say at the time, actually, we're willing to fund this until it works. And the reason is we blindly thought we'd be able to sell it and make it work really quickly. And the reason for that was we'd had real success with selling courses and programs and all of that stuff. And so we thought, well, it's a sales page on the internet. People find it, they scroll down, they click a button, they buy, they get access to it. The only difference is we're not creating content. It's just Collins building the system and they get access to that and it will all work wonders. Until we find out that actually selling software is really hard, especially when you're selling such a solution to a problem that everyone's got, but they don't know that your software is the solution. Like we have to get them to believe that surveys are the solution first and then of the survey platforms, ours is the best one to get. I want to highlight something there. The fact that you realized the sales barrier. So, so this is very common as, as companies get started. They have to understand where it goes. So you mentioned the Zapier integration. One of the very first things that Data Automation did when it got off the ground is we became a Zapier certified expert and a Zapier app developer. So we actually can help people build Zapier integrations. Well, so we go out and we find SaaS founders and we, and we tell them all about, you know, here's how you get started and, and, and everything. And we realized we had to get them to buy into Zapier being a good tool first. Right. Then we had to get them to buy into the idea of outsourcing it. Then we had to buy them to buy into the idea that we were the right people to outsource. And so recognizing those three sales hurdles or, or those three epiphanies or things that you need milestones. Because if I start focusing on you, I'm the right company to outsource this to immediately, it's kind of like trying to jump um, jump the process of dating, right? Try to try to jump to a proposal before you ask for a first date. Right. So, so knowing what does your first date look like? What does your third date look like? 
what does a proposal look like, what does marriage look like, and what the kids look like, all of those different commitments that the user has to make to you to in order to even think this is a good idea is so important. So just I wanted to highlight that nugget and I love that you guys figured that out. Yeah, absolutely. So we 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 dove into this process of starting to put it together. Now we knew that we had about six months of development time just to get the thing to MVP level. So that was like our roadmap. And we hit it more or less to the day. Like that was that was perfect forecasting, or maybe it was like a I don't know. Uh, we, we said it was gonna take that long, so it did. But we, we hit that <laughs> six months perfectly. And we I think what I would call it was misleading. Because that from there we thought it's <laughs> gonna go beautifully. Yes, we are excellent. So we got it to MVP level. We did like a um, we did like a one-off launch first of all, where like the first customers could get response suite for like a lifetime deal for a certain amount of money just to bring in some initial cash flow. It probably covered the bills for a couple of months, but that was really it. It was nothing much much to write home about for money. What it really did was it helped us to steer the next quarter of development because it turned out that once customers got in, what they, what we were going to do next wasn't what they wanted. So we just shifted development based on that. But back to the money thing. We then, from that point forward, we released it as a monthly or annual SaaS, standard style, put an affiliate program in place. We started doing webinars and we found out that we are rubbish at selling and marketing software. And for <laughs> the next couple of years, well, the next while, it was it was a drag and we were burning through cash massively every month topping up the bank. And then we ran into the biggest hurdle that we never saw coming, which was an unexpected and very large tax bill. And we reached a point where we sat down and we had to sit down with our staff and we had to sit down on a Monday morning at the very start of a month, having had a very difficult teary conversation on the phone over the weekend, we sat them down and we said, we are not sure if we can pay your wages at the end of the month. And uh, we cried and it was because we are like a family, like the team that we've built around us is, is amazing. And so we sat down and we said, look, we, and we, we wanted to tell you this now rather than on the last Friday of the month where you're supposed to get paid um, or the Thursday before. We wanted to tell you this now so that you can decide what that means for you. You can decide what that means for your families. That means you can decide what you need to do. And we basically said, look, we're going to pull out everything we possibly can to try and make this work. But if we don't clear everything that we've got to clear, if we don't pay this this bill, our company's going to get taken away. Like we'll we'll have to we'll have no choice but to close down just because we'd misunderstood something, having never run a company on this size before and this scale before. We just messed up. And so they were amazing. They said, Okay, well, it is what it is. Uh, we'll plow on. And have you got a plan to make sure this doesn't happen next month or isn't going to happen next month? Because if you have and you can lay it out and it sounds feasible and the plan isn't, well, we think we'll have five hundred recurring customers by next month, then we'll go from there. And so we said, here's the basic commitment we'll put in place. Once we've paid what we have to pay at the end of the month, you'll get equally split between you, whatever we've got left towards your salary. And then we'll make it up as quickly as we can next month. Now, we then went away, built this plan that we'd put together and um, that what we did, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it, pivoted, changed the business, made it profitable from the next month. We paid them on the day before they were supposed to get paid, cleared all of the other bills, and uh, and the company's been profitable since, and we haven't had to put any of the money into the company since either. Um, so yeah, in in total, I think we burned through about a quarter of a million pounds of our own cash to get it to that point. And then at that point, we said this is this is crazy for us to continue to be willing to fund it. We need to find a solution because we're nothing if not problem solvers. And so we found a solution to the problem. So that is the hundred percent honest, transparent version of of what's gone on in the last twelve months. Thank you for that transparency. I, I, I felt the energy. I, 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 w I felt like I was there with you in that, in that room telling those employees like, hey, 
this is this is tough beans, but this is what it is. Um, I think that's powerful. One of our core values at Data Automation is transparency as well. So, um, you know, I, I I commend you uh, for for that. That's powerful. So so it sounded like Kennedy had something to add there. No, not at all. No, no, that was that's exactly it. I mean, one of the things we were not willing to do, even though the, the correct supposed correct thing to do is not tell the staff you can't pay them until the day you can't pay them because you don't want to demotivate them for the month going forward. But because we just said we cannot come to work with these people every day knowing they're working there, that they're, they're you know, working to full and we might not be able to get, to live up our part of the bargain. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're trusting us. They're relying on us to pay their mortgages, their, every, their lives, everything, their family. Uh, we can't look at them every day thinking, feeling like we're con men, really. So, so as, you, as you get at that, let, let's talk about the pivot. What did you do during this month um, that, that caused the pivot? And, and by the way, the pivot or persevere, you know, uh, the lean startup, I love that book. And, and you mentioned Michael Gerber. Those are two, I mean, the e-myth, really, really powerful models for us to understand what it means to create a business. So, you, I mean, I feel like I'm on the edge of a cliffhanger here. What, what happened? What did you do? We have learned a really important lesson, and we preach it everywhere we can. If you come from a world where you're obsessed with developing yourself, if you read self-development, if you look, if you try and upskill yourself, the problem with all self-development is that it gets you to focus on the stuff you're not very good at, right? And it makes you obsess over what we call your dips. And that's what we were doing. We were focusing on the thing we weren't very good at because we've come from this self-development world of really want to improve ourselves with following the work of Tony Robbins and other amazing self-development gurus. But those things, all of them, I don't mean Tony Robbins particularly, but I mean everybody, they focus on the stuff you're poor at and say, you can become better at the stuff you're not very good at. Instead, we pivoted by focusing on the stuff we are good at and doing more of that. So we used our own motto, which is do more of what you're good at. So what we did is we pivoted the business and we said, okay, whatever we're going to do, it has to use the things we're already good at. So that is talking, speaking, teaching, presenting, and selling courses and information-based products online. They're the only two things we have proven we can do. And we know the systems. We know what to do. We know how to do it. And we have done it profitably. But we can only do that, and this is where we added the extra challenge, if the model we used for doing that also creates prospects for response suite at a profit. So we didn't want to then go, right, we need cash. So let's go and teach people yoga online. Because we could have done that. I mean, we probably couldn't have done that. But we could have taught, we could have sold yoga online. We couldn't have done it because we would have looked very silly. But what we wanted to do instead is create prospects for response suite at a profit. So that's what we did. We said, okay, who is it who absolutely is the prospect for response week. And the answer is, if you're not already selling your products and building a business where you use email marketing to sell those things, then you are miles away from using response week because we help you, because response week is a survey platform that segments your email marketing as well as the other features. So we decided, you know what? 
we are really nerdy of all the things we love doing in marketing we're really naturally good probably because we enjoy doing email marketing and do you know what when we looked online for leading podcasts and leading youtube channels and all this sort of stuff nobody owned that space nobody owned that space of being the go-to person about email marketing in a big way there's some people who had touched on it and do a bit of it but no one really owned it and we said you know what we could be a duo who who share email marketing who have courses and products and a membership around email marketing and that looks like that's our business but in actual fact these people are all prospects for response winning. So we created another brand called the Email Marketing Heroes, saving the world from terrible email marketing. And we decided <laughs> to create courses and a podcast. So that's where it came from. From now, every week we said, we're going to have a podcast. We're going to have a podcast. We're going to call it The Email Marketing Show. We launched that. It's doing incredibly well. We get to speak to the most amazing people in the world of email marketing from founders of massive email marketing SaaSes. Rob mentioned before the first email marketing platform either of us used, both of us used, was AWeber. We spoke to the founder and chief executive this week on the show. We, to get, so we just suddenly realized this is what we should be doing. And then we made another really important decision, which is we're not going to focus on the SaaS again, specifically. We get passive stuff coming through. Yes, we do. We're not going to focus on it specifically until we get to a certain point with the information business. So it was all about doing more of what we're good at and not focusing too much just yet on what we're not really good at. That's beautiful. I love that idea of self-development because, um, I mean, I do that too. I, I'm constantly looking for a new book to read. Uh, that, that tells me a little bit about how I can become a better human, what I can do to better myself. And I love what you said. I, I actually wrote it down. I said, what are you good at? Like I, I wrote it down on a sticky note here. You know, what are you good at? And then I, and then I wrote right underneath it. How can that grow what I'm doing right now? And, and, and how can I tie that in? So, I mean, beautifully put. If you were to take it, I mean, listeners, this is the nugget. Um, focus on what you're good at and see how you can tie that to the efforts. So if you have something that's working, but it's not it's not working as well as you want it to, or it's not getting right where you want it to go, take your talents. Go go back and look at, and see what you're climbing and see where it's going and see a way to tie that up. Oh, by the way, email marketing heroes, we definitely need some caricatures of you guys as superheroes. Like I, I, I was. I was a little disappointed when I Googled it just now and came to the page. And I, I mean, I like the plaid shirt and the suit. Like, it looks nice. But I'm definitely missing out on, you know, some email, like, 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 you know, to the rescue, arms flying through the air, kapow, bang. Like, so, I mean, just, I thought, you know, these guys have got to have, so just say it. If you, if you have some of that, it needs to go on the homepage. Um, cause, cause I really love the idea of rescuing the world from bad email marketing. Cause I have been a victim for many, many years and, and continue to be. So I'm excited that you're here to save the day in, in that way. I really appreciate that. All right. <laughs> so I love where you went with that. You told us about this difficulty. You pivoted the business. You started focusing on the email marketing show, which by the way, we need to talk automation on the email marketing show. So later on, you know, let, let's, let's sync up about that. We've definitely got some things in common there. Looking at, at, at where you were going, 
and you compare where you are now to where you were before, what's the biggest difference to that first interview when you said, so how's this supposed to go to where you are now? What's the team look like? How big is it now versus how big was it then? What's it look like? Um, we actually, obviously, 2020 has obviously been the year of the coronavirus pandemic. About two months before that happened, uh, in the before that, you know, before it arrived in the UK, if you like, or before it was publicly known in the UK, we made the decision to go remote. That was for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, Kennedy and I realised that we had given ourselves the one thing we always wanted to avoid having, which was a job, where if we were away at all, we sort of felt bad that we were leaving the team because we, we really are like a little family. And also things like, you know, I was away for the whole of August performing my show in edinburgh for the edinburgh fringe festival and so that's a long time to be out of the office now as a remote team you don't feel that distance quite so much as when you're normally in the office most of the time and so uh, we decided to go remote partly for that partly to help some of our staff with some of their stuff and we decided that we would just do it and part of anything in our quest to pivot the business from not profit to profit we realized well heck if we can save 100 grand a year on rent let's do that so we moved out of our office and we went remote. So I, I guess the first big difference is we thought that in order to be a software business of the of the size and the type that we wanted, we had to have an office with a sign on the wall and like a, a cool table that we had made with our logo burnt into the top of it. And so that's one of the first differences. We're now a 100% remote team with the same size of team. There's the same number of us doing the same rules. Uh, so nothing much has changed there. Um, and I suppose our focus is what we do is we realize that we've got this amazing funnel that allows us to talk about email marketing, bring people in, create customers at a profit and response suite sits beautifully in the back end. So sure, some people find response suite because they listen to us on podcasts and stuff like that. And they just think, well, I've been looking for a survey platform. That sounds like the one and they go and sign up and that's great. But actually the vast majority of our response suite customers now are coming through a process where they're buying courses and membership programs on email marketing first, seeing how we use response suite in some of the stuff. And then they're saying, oh, wow, I, I want to be able to do that. And then they go and buy it as well. So as Kennedy said, from, we're still doing 100% focus on the development of response suite. That's been developed all of the time. But from a front-end marketing perspective, the main thing we really push is, is our email marketing programs and people find response suite if it's right for them on the, on the back. Yeah, you're teaching people who have no idea how to do email marketing the right way to do email marketing. Oh, and by the way, we have a tool that does that perfectly. I, right. I love it. That's so powerful. You, you discovered, I mean, we talked about those sales barriers, right? The assumptions, the commitments you were asking to make. So it sounds like for the first while when you were jumping in there and pitching this to people, you were you were trying to get them to a proposal before you'd gone on the first date. And the first date was, you need to jump in and 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 see what email marketing really is. And the other big mistake we made is we, the, I mean, it sounds like a weird thing, but the top of our funnel was way too wide, way too wide. We had a podcast before in that whole spirit of doing more of what you're good at, which is we're good at chatting about stuff. So we had a podcast before, which was a really broad podcast. It had the best podcast name of any podcast ever. It was called Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast. Great name. We, I know we definitely got interviews from big names just because the name was like so clever and stuff. We de it definitely were. But we realized by getting people to go from the, the story of marketing, that's a really broad thing, to email marketing through to surveys, like that's a big journey. That's a big journey because if you listen to the podcast because you listen to the episode we did with someone about Facebook ads or Quora advertising with one of the chief guys at Quora or whatever. Very interesting. But how are we, how are we supposed to get you from there? <laughs> Survey. 
We got that, to 100. We got to 100 episodes of the podcast before we realized this, of course. <laughs> so, uh, honestly, that wow, that's another amazing nugget. How where is the top of your funnel? Ladies and gentlemen, ask yourselves that question right now. Where is the top of your funnel? And if you're not focusing, like there are other people out there who can take you from marketing to email marketing. I don't need to be the one who does that part of the journey. I can be the one who does the email marketing part because that's a slower journey. So, so stop right now, write down, go look at your funnel. Where are you focusing? Wow, that's an amazing, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about data automation. Where is my funnel? What am I yeah. asking people to do that is too much of a jump? What, where, where can I delegate that responsibility to let somebody else focus on that part of the, the customer journey? And do you know what's interesting for us? Like, if some, and we know now where that is. If you don't already have something you're selling or something to sell, it doesn't need to be selling yet. But if you don't have something to sell, we don't teach you how to come up with your course or how to come up with your niche or your product or your market. That's not us. You, we can point you to some brilliant people. Actually, many of them are members of our of our community and members of our of our membership who teach you how to niche, teach you how to come up with a product, teach you how to do all these things. They can do that and will gladly refer members. It's a major part of our membership as we refer a lot of our members to other people. And that's what they're for. But when you're ready to actually sell more of them in a way that our whole thing is it's psychology-driven email marketing. Email, imagine sending emails every single day that people – no, don't just love receiving, but they reply to you every single day and tell you they love receiving. We had a member of our of our of our membership today. Our membership is called the League, the League of Extraordinary Email Marketers, as you'd imagine from the superheroes. <laughs> and we had somebody post in our members group today saying, "To today's emails you sent using our email framework that we teach. It's not a template; it's a way of doing emails." They had eleven people reply to their emails and bear in mind a week ago she was hardly even getting anybody opening them so that's a big transformation and to see that kind of level of transformation lets us know that we are changing the way that people do do that do their email marketing and that's that's a huge thing for us to see happening i the, honestly i think we could go on for hours and hours and and i'm really enjoying this I, we are definitely gonna have to do another follow-up episode of some kind on the automate delegate eliminate show slash you know we need to talk about you know three uh three marketers walking into a podcast i love this as to round this out so that the listeners who you know were expecting this to be a, a show of similar length to some of our others what would be your parting advice to other entrepreneurs other SaaS entrepreneurs other entertainers who are thinking about starting a SaaS, what would be that advice? And, and we're going to go to to keep it brand level. We're going Rob first, then Kennedy. Rob, what would be your parting advice? And then we'll have Kennedy go. One of the things I'm really glad that we did was to ignore the advice of some coaches and mentors. And that sounds like a crazy thing to say as somebody who sells information and sells advice and sells coaching, but I'll, I'll frame it with some context. We had quite a lot of conversations in the sort of difficult days of response week where we were really struggling with it to try and figure out, you know, what's, what should we do next? And these were often conversations where we'd have the, like the free strategy call or sort of free strategy meeting with some really smart, brilliant people who would give us their two cents on what to do. And a lot of them 
gave us what we now know to be what would have been the wrong advice. For example, a lot of, a lot of them said, when we said, we're thinking about doing this email marketing heroes thing, what do you think? A lot of them said, no, you're just moving the problem. You're just inventing something new to sell to put off the difficult work that you're finding hard with selling response rate. You've built response rate. It's still growing. Focus on selling that. And the truth is we've no, we've no evidence or no data to suggest that if we had done that, we would have suddenly miraculously turned a corner and found the solution. We knew we couldn't pull millions and millions of extra dollars out of our back pocket to fund advertising you know, to the level that SaaS requires. And so we realized that when they looked at our sales page and said, sales page doesn't tell people why they need to use surveys. When they looked at our marketing material and they said, well, this is problematic, we realized they don't know the full picture. They don't know what people will have seen before they see that sales page. Because we realized that sales page is only there to convert people from wanting a survey platform to buying ours. It's Mm -hmm. not there to do the job of selling them why they need the the survey application. So where is, oh, here's another one. Where is your landing page in the funnel? And is your marketing effort bringing people into the next stage or is it going up two or three stages above that? Beautiful. So I think to wrap that up into a piece of advice, it's just realized that sometimes really well clued up people give you really well-intentioned advice, but they just don't have enough of the picture for that advice to be correct. And so sometimes you have to realize that they could just be wrong just because they haven't seen the full picture. Beautiful. Right, right. For me, it would be about how much content you produce. It's about people think that they can't email every day or they can't put, uh, they can't tweet every day and Instagram, every, whatever. One of, the, one of the sayings we say all the time is you have to remember that you are the only person in the world who sees 100% of your content. You're the only person who sees all of your emails. And not only do you see them, but you see them for longer than anybody else because you sit and labor over writing them. You see all of your content, all of your everything. You see all of it. And you see all of it for longer than anybody else. Nobody else sees all of it. And so, therefore, you can email, email more frequently to build relationships. You can tweet more often. You can post more blog posts. You can do all of this stuff more often. There's a phrase that we borrowed from a friend of ours, which is, I only send an email on the days that I want to make an impact or I want to make a sale. And I want to do those things every day. And that's the reason we email every single day. So remember, you're the only person who sees 100% of your content. Wow. We've got four or five nuggets out of this episode. I can't thank you guys enough. This this is powerful, powerful tools for those of you who are getting involved in this. I am so excited to continue this journey and to use some of the nuggets that, that we found here. I find that I know that I'm making solid content when I get excited to go back and listen to the episode. And honestly, this is one that I'm, I'm definitely coming back to and uh, and, and I'm going to, to, to listen to again. So Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Kennedy, for for joining us today here from Response Suite. Couldn't be more pleased that you were here. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. That's it today, ladies and gentlemen, for our episode of Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. I'm your host, Will Christensen, signing off for now. You've been listening to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, hosted by Will Christensen.